We are continuing our One Body series um, that we've been doing now for a few weeks and enjoying together. Um, my title this morning is Everyone Can Get Along. Um, alternative title, How to Disagree Well. That's where we're going today. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, first off, I, I, I want to invite you to time travel with me. Um, not particularly long ago, just a 15 years ago. Do you think you can manage that? Im imagine a time... 15 years ago, I don't know at what stage in life you were, where you lived, what your life looked like, but 15 years ago, what if I were to tell you that there was a, a website with an app eventually, if you would even know what an app was back then, that would become big, like really, really big. This website would collate um, lots of different information that would be relevant to you. So from, mainly from your friends and your contacts. So the, the, the friends who are expecting a baby would share that on there and you would have that come into your newsfeed. Uh, you would get reminders about your friends' birthdays. You would get photos from your friends' holidays to make you jealous of where they had been that year. You might even get the odd political viewpoint from a friend. And of course, endless numbers of funny videos of cats because who doesn't love a good funny video of a cat? This new platform thing that is coming would enable you to connect with all of your friends and contacts, keep up to date with what is going on in their lives, and even the people who you went to school with back in the day who you haven't seen since and don't really care about, but they would come onto your newsfeed as well. Uh, would you believe me if I told you that that was coming 15 years ago and that this amazing new platform would grow to have 45% of the world's population registered to it and where each of those um, members of this new website platform thing would spend on average 58 minutes a day scrolling through these updates from their friends. Would you have believed me 15 years ago if I'd have told you that this would come in? And alongside that, that this company that founded this would become so huge that they would be making in 15 years in the future $22 billion per year in profit. Like, that, that's a pretty big thing that has happened to our world, isn't it, in the last 15 years. Now, listen, there's obviously a lot of good about Facebook, isn't there? That's why 45% of the world's population are registered on it, and it can be used well. But there are also some things that come along with these big, world-changing things that we really should probably spend a little bit of time looking at and analysing. You see, I remember back in the day, uh, Facebook actually came out for me when I was working on my dissertation, which was really unhelpful because it was this new cool thing. And, and back when it started, basically, it, I don't know if you remember this, those who started in the early days, but it actually said your name and had the word is. So you had to get quite creative about your status updates because it always had to start with Caleb Elwood is. And you had to do that. It was, it was very interesting. And how it worked was literally everyone who was your friend, whatever they posted would come up on your Facebook newsfeed in order that it was posted. That's how it worked. But long gone are those days, right? It, now there's this kind of fancy algorithm, you're probably all aware of it, that actually is, a, is basically a computer that decides what it thinks is most relevant to you and bumps that up to the top of your newsfeed so you see more of the things that are more relevant to you. And if we were being a little bit cynical, 
things that we, you might click on that might make Facebook some money, okay? This is how it works. And, and basically, the more you engage with what other people post, the more likely you are to see more of those things in the future. The less likely you are to click on those things that people post or to hit the like button or whatever, the less likely they are to come up in future on your newsfeed. Now, this way of kind of making information relevant to you is not just um, kind of unique to Facebook. Lots of other social media platforms work this way. Even some news sites these days actually will prioritize the kind of articles that you click on and, uh, and kind of put those to the top of the list for next time. It's good and it's helpful, right? It makes us see the things that are relevant to us. But one of John Wilson's favorite questions these days when it comes to elders meetings and making decisions is what might be the unintended consequences of this decision? It's a good thing. It's a helpful thing. But are there some unintended consequences? Well, let's be honest about this. The reality is the unintended consequences, you see more of the things that you click on and you are happy with and you agree with and less of the things that you disagree with or dislike. We have got ourselves what is known as an echo chamber, haven't we? It's lovely, it is cosy, it is beautiful. Everyone in the world agrees with us. What a wonderful world we now inhabit, full of harmony and love. Now, um, I'm not knocking Facebook entirely here, he says with a twinkle in his eye. It, it has its dangers, but it can be good, right? Facebook is not entirely evil. And for those who might be wondering if that is actually my view, you probably, some of you will have noticed, I don't have social media accounts these days. That was just a personal decision I took rather than some big grand judgment on social media companies. Um, I just used to, what I used to do every single January, I used to give up social media just to prove to myself that I wasn't actually an addict. And, uh, and last January, at the end of January, um, I realized I didn't miss it at all, so I just deleted all my accounts. It was really that simple. And the thing is, I'm not really having too much of a go at Facebook here because ultimately, let's be honest about this, I think it just reflects human nature, right? Let's be honest about this. This is what we tend to do in life. It's easier. We like spending time with people who agree with us, and we don't really like spending that much time with people whose views might offend us or we might disagree with. Um, an example of this, back uh, before the... I'm, I'm going to get political as well today. This is a highly controversial, isn't it? I'm not really, but I'm going to talk about Brexit. Back before the Brexit referendum, uh, I was witness to a conversation between two church members um, and, uh, and about how they were intending to vote. It became quite clear quite quickly that one person was going to vote to remain in the EU and the other person was going to vote to leave the European Union. And um, Both of them, here's the interesting thing, when they were in this conversation, both of them acknowledged that the other person that they were having this conversation with was the first person that they had actually come across and had a conversation with who was voting a different way to them. It, it, literally, it was like, I don't know anyone else who is voting the same way as you. All my friends, the people I know, are voting the same way as me, and both of them said this. Now, it was a good, friendly, civil conversation, and I know those two people are still on good terms, but it was an interesting interaction. 
both came to the realization in that moment that their lives were surrounded by people who intended to vote the same way. Echo chambers don't just exist on social media, right? We naturally tend to choose to inhabit a nice, cozy echo chamber surrounded by people who are more closely aligned with our views and where we come from. Now, if we, and, and that's just the reality, isn't it? If we follow the easy path, the easy path being just hanging out with people who are more like us, really. This is the reality of life that I think uh, God might want to speak into today as part of this One Body series. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you, you become part of a new entity, this thing we call the church, the body of Christ. And whether you like it or not, you are now connected with people who come from all different kinds of viewpoints and backgrounds. The church is probably, I can't think of anything more diverse than the church, but I think the church is probably the most naturally diverse group of people in the entire world, right? We come from all different walks of life and we are united by one thing in Jesus. So how are we meant to get along? when we disagree strongly about the important issues of the day? How are we meant to be part of a life group with people who, who are voting for different people than we might vote for? How are we meant to be brothers and sisters in Christ with people who come to different conclusions about particular Bible passages? Well, I've got three things we want to talk about today that I think might be helpful. When we realise that we disagree. You've probably been in this situation. You're in a conversation with somebody and there's a moment where you come to that realization that, oh my word, they believe something different to me and it's making, I, I feel it. I can feel that tension rising. In that moment, there is a myth, a lie that tries to wreak havoc in our interactions with that other person. And the mischievous lie is this. It goes something along these lines. I have a choice to make here between keeping a friend and telling the truth. That's the lie that we encounter that will try and kind of speak to us and control our behavior when we realize I'm in disagreement with this person. There's some kind of potential for conflict here. There's a lie that tries to cause mischief. It says, I have a choice to make between keeping a friend and telling the truth. We have to recognize that this is a lie, and then we have to reject this mischievous lie outright and choose to believe the truth that you can still have a good relationship, a friendship with someone you disagree with. Think about it this way. Jesus had his own little life group, right? Twelve people who followed him around, these 12 disciples. He shared life with them, did his ministry with them. I just want to read from Matthew 10, verse 2, this list of disciples, and we're going to look at a few of the characters. It says this, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Well, what do we know about these disciples? Some of them we know more than others. That's the reality. We don't know much about some of them. But let's just look at a few of them, okay? 
Peter, a married fisherman, he's a leader in the bunch, right? It's pretty obvious. Often the spokesman of the 12 to Jesus. He's brash and he's brave. You've got James and John, widely believed to be from a well-to-do family. Um, But Jesus gave himself, he gave them the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. And probably because some of their helpful suggestions along the way, including things like, hey, Jesus, these people in this town have rejected you and not welcomed you. Should we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? I mean, what kind of characters come up with that as a helpful suggestion? You've got Bartholomew, who some scholars believe he may have been the only disciple who came from royal blood, a a man of standing and character and noble birth. You've got Matthew, interesting guy in there, even says in that list, this is him writing the list, and he describes himself as Matthew, the tax collector, the man whose job before he met Jesus was taxing his fellow countrymen in order to pay the occupying Romans who were just widely hated by his fellow men, the Jews. And then you've got Simon the Zealot. Now, when someone's name is accompanied in a list like this with their political persuasion, you know they take their politics seriously, right? In my mind, the equivalent of this today would be like Tony the Tory, or BNP Beryl, or Larry the Lib Dem. It it says something about you, doesn't it, if your name is accompanied by your political preference. The, The zealots, these were fanatical Jewish nationalists who were crazed with hate for the Romans and everyone who worked for Rome. You've got this guy alongside Matthew, the tax collector, widely seen as a traitor. I mean, can you imagine the conversations that went, uh, went on around the campfire on an evening in that group of 12? These guys, I can't imagine, were you know, perfect harmony all the way. Like You, you read the, the New Testament and there are examples of them disagreeing and falling out. But if Jesus can keep that bunch of ragtag guys together for three years, then surely it must be possible for us to stay connected, well connected within a church to other people who have different views and backgrounds. I mean, this is just what I love about the church. Like, where else do you get this tapestry of life? You have the full spectrum, the full range of people from different incomes, people from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different political views, different ages, different races, all together as one body one family. What a beautiful thing it can be. But to get there, we have to first reject the lie that says we can't do it. We can't, we, we can't remain friends with people who we disagree with. The second thing that I believe will be helpful for us to get along when we disagree is to keep the focus on Jesus, on the really important stuff that we do agree on. As a church, we've always tried to be pretty clear on this, Um, We want to keep him, Jesus, central. We want to talk about Jesus more than we talk about anything else. And while there might be room for other views on more secondary matters, we want to be united about the the really important things. Now, obviously, you have to draw a line somewhere, don't you? In terms of your willingness, you have a choice. Like, who am I, what kind of church setting, who am I willing to be in relationship with in terms of being in a local church family? 
You know, on the one hand, if you, if you hold a really high bar on this, you're only going to be willing to be in a church family with people who agree on absolutely everything. If that's your approach, then, like, you're going to end up in a pretty small church, right? Like, trying to find a bunch of people who believe exactly the same things that you do about everything, you're probably going to be flying solo um, in terms of your church. On the other hand, however... You know, if if you end up comfortable with all views, even maybe even different religions, oh, it's all it's all the same God, really. Let's just be together. Then, really, what to to get to that point, you have to invest in the idea of what we might call relativism, where there is no absolute truth, and where competing v- views are all true. I, I've, if I'm honest. I'm just not sure how that fits with the Jesus who says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. These are the extremes. I appreciate that. And there aren't many people who would hold to one of those extremes. But, but let's be honest, this is a real live issue in any local church. We find ourselves in agreement on some things, and we find ourselves in disagreement on other things. This is where I'd want to suggest something like a a, a kind of traditional creed might be helpful. A, a creed is usually a formal statement uh, of belief, usually designed to be easily remembered. One of the first examples of this we find in, in the New Testament, is this is widely believed to be a, a creed, is when the Apostle Paul, he is writing um, his first letter to the church in Corinth. And by the time he gets to what we know as chapter 15, um, he's, he's attempting to remind his readers of the basic truths that he's, um, he's giving his life to passing on to others. This is widely believed to be one of the first Christian creeds. We're going to read it, 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 3. He says this, he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. As in, this is the distilled version of the most important truths that that I have received and and I've spent my life trying to pass on to you. And this is the creed as he gives it. The the very heart of the gospel says this, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. He's like, "If, if I can distill it down to anything, like this is right at the crooks and we have other creeds don't we fairly on in the history of the church what we now know as the apostles creed uh, was written and, and again this is an attempt to bring clarity to what are these things that we can just find real agreement on in the church these basic truths and and i think for us this can be a helpful summary of you know these wildly important things that we want to be unified around and we can all agree on fairly easily. So I'm actually going to, we're going to read this through together, whether you're in the room or whether you are um, watching along at home. I'm going to give you the opportunity just to kind of speak these out together and in the room, just to reassure you, you are allowed to do this under COVID restrictions. You are just not allowed. The official line is spoken responses should not be in a raised voice. So I will leave that to your subjective opinion as to what a raised voice is, but I believe you can speak at a normal volume and that will be okay. So um, we're going to put these on the screen here and we're going to read them together as one. Okay. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Those, those are pretty good truths, aren't they? Like that we can agree on and we can celebrate. And what I want to suggest is where there is that, that unity, that agreement, let's celebrate them. Like let's not just kind of focus our attention on the on the bits we disagree with. Let's keep those things central. Let's be wildly zealous about these truths because these are saving truths, right? These are, these are life-changing, just pure, good and right and true for everyone truths, aren't they? They're not just kind of a, oh, we think we believe this stuff. These are the things that, that actually have saved us. And so we want to celebrate those and agree on those things. So we can celebrate what we agree on, but what do we do about the things that we don't agree on? I want to suggest that we approach these disagreements with humility. Let's not be tempted to ignore elephants in the room. Let's not pretend that we don't disagree on things. Let's talk openly with others, with humility, listening to others and sharing our views. Here's the reality, right? When, when you have that moment, that growing unease, when you realize you're not aligned, you're in disagreement with someone, uh, you hit that mischievous lie that, that says, you know, if you, if you talk about it, you're going to ruin your friendship with that person. Do you know what's inevitable? If you choose to say, I'm not going to talk about it because I want to preserve that relationship, if you don't talk about it, if you don't talk it out, you will act it out. It will become a thing whether you choose to talk about, whether, if you don't choose to talk about it, you don't get a choice in the end result. It will become a thing between you. I, I honestly think that that is true. If you don't talk openly about this thing that is causing tension, that tension will build up and you will start to act differently towards that person. So we need to have these conversations, but how do we approach them. I would suggest that approaching the conversation with humility is going to go a long way here. But this is a challenge, right? Let's, let's all be honest about this for a moment. The biggest challenge here is, because, is, is that ultimately the reason we hold the views we hold is because we think we're right, right? Like, let's not beat around the bush here. Nobody holds a view on which they know is wrong. It's like, no, I'm going to hold this standpoint because I should and I must, even though I know it's wrong. Like, you hold views because you believe that you are right on those things. So, so how, you know, we've got to acknowledge that first and foremost, but then we need to approach with humility. What does that look like? Well, I think for me it looks like doing more listening than talking in these conversations, prioritizing hearing and understanding the other person and their view above being heard and understood ourselves. I came across a, a quote yesterday um, from a, an American pastor called Bobby Jameson, 
And, and this is just a, a really short question that kind of challenged me to my core on this. And, and he said this, he said, are you a delight to disagree with? A good question, right? Are you a delight to disagree with? When somebody, if somebody were having an, an open conversation with you where you were clearly in disagreement with them, would they describe you as someone who is a delight to disagree with? I thought that was like the most challenging question on this whole topic. Uh, but it's a good question to ask ourselves, right? Here, here's a thought. How great a place would a church and the world at large be if we had a rule that said, we as Christians, or we as a church, we're going to be 100% zealous and passionate about and confident about everything that is in that creed we just read together, about those fundamental truths. We're going to be 100% on fire, passionate, no compromise on those things. And then everything else, we just held it lightly with, with being genuinely open to the possibility that we might be wrong on it. Doesn't that sound like a great recipe for a, a church, an approach for a church family to take? Passionate about the gospel, passionate about Jesus, passionate about his kingdom coming, but pretty relaxed about most other things. I think Paul sums up, he, he gives some advice to the church in Ephesus that I think is just perfect when speaking into this issue. We read in chapter 4 verse 2, he says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And he's saying, look, let's be patient and humble with one another. Focus on the big stuff that we do agree on. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. So I think those three things are, are going to stand us in good stead. If we reject that lie that says we can't do this, we can't still be friends with people we agree, we disagree with. If we keep Jesus, we keep clear on Jesus. And if we approach disagreement with humility, that's going to stand us in good stead. So I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to, uh, to Nathan. Father God, I, I thank you for just the beautiful tapestry that a local church is. People from so many different backgrounds, so many different viewpoints coming together united about some saving truths that have transformed our lives completely and utterly. God, what a beautiful thing it can be. But God, we, we, we want to do this church thing well. We want to do this disagreeing thing well. We want to be people who are united on the really important stuff. But then where there is disagreement, we do so in a really good and healthy way. God, help us not to sweep things under the carpet, to pretend, uh, put on a kind of fake unity where there isn't agreement. But Father, also help us to have those conversations well, to approach these things with humility. Father, we just want to commit kind of our church family, our body to you. We want to thank you that you have brought us together, that your word says you place the lonely in families. God, that's me. <laughs> You've put me, an individual, 
in a community, and I love it, and I love being part of a local church. What a privilege and a joy it is. God, help us to be your body really well. Help us to get along with one another despite our differences. Help us to do that really well. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, to equip us, give us everything we need to do that well, not in our own strength, but in yours, Holy Spirit. So come and fill us. Come and give us the strength we need. Come and give us everything we need, the wisdom we need, the humility we need, the grace we need for one another. Amen.